Well, welcome to week three of the book of Revelation. And last week we talked about the imminent return of the Lord, an event that we called the rapture. And even though we don't know, we won't know the time or the place, because the Lord says that he'll return like a thief in the night. And even though we don't know those details, the Bible says there's going to be signs, there's going to be indicators that the day of the Lord is drawing near. And so this morning, I want to, as we start off, I want to share with you six signs or six indicators that let us know that we're moving closer to the day that the Lord will return. So if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, I hope today is encouraging, inspiring for you to say, I need to be living my life with that kind of eternal perspective, waiting for the Lord with anticipation, with excitement that he is coming. If you don't know the Lord... And you've always kind of had this mindset of, listen, I'll figure this out later. I've got time, right? I'll deal with the things of God at another point. Can I just remind you today, the book of Revelation teaches us again to be reminded that we are promised this moment, right? And we are promised this day. And encouragement for you is to contemplate that issue of what's keeping me from getting right with God in light of the things to come. And so that's where we're heading uh, this morning. So I want to start with, again, giving you six signs or six indicators that the day of the Lord is near. So if you've got your phones, I encourage you to go to lexcity.info. All the sermon notes are there. Some graphs I'll use today will be there. You'll find them there. Otherwise, grab your Bibles. You can go to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, as we start. And also, uh, on the LexCity.info app, there's a place if you scroll down a little bottom there for questions. And I'm not going to get to everything in our five weeks that we have together. But if there are questions you have dealing with the end times, I would love to be able to do my best to try to answer those. And so there's a place there for you to kind of contribute and ask them as we go. So let's drive in. Six things that give us an indication that we're moving closer to the day of the Lord. Number one is simply this, that destruction will increase, and the Bible says, like birth pains. Book of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and he says these words. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of an age, right? It's a great question. Jesus, you're talking about all these things. How are we going to know? What do we need to know to know these things? And Jesus answered them saying, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 8. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, ladies, you would understand this illustration far better than I ever would and understand. But what I remember for the time when Tammy was pregnant, right? As we got closer to the birth, the contractions increased in frequency and in intensity. And Jesus is saying this. As the earth and the circumstances begin to increase in intensity and in frequency, they're going to continue to give evidence that the day of the Lord is near. So let's take a moment and just look a little bit to see what the indicators, what the, what is it, the tachometer, whatever it is that, that uh, regulates uh, contractions, ladies, you would remember what those are. What does it say about the earth and we go? Well, let me get the first one. He says, uh, rumors and wars that are here. Here's just a little graph to remind you in terms of what's happening in human history. When it comes to wars that are here, starting in the beginning, left-hand column, millions that have been killed, I think it's easy to say as we continue to move down human history, the intensity has increased and the number of wars continues to grow. 
says the earth is going to cry out for the return of the Lord. Famines and earthquakes will increase. Let me give you another graph that just reminds you. This is from 1910 till now. The increase in severity of earthquakes around the world. Again, I think it's safe to say on both of these, we are moving up into the right in terms of frequency. Destruction will increase like birth pains. Number two that gives us an indicator that the day of the Lord is drawing near is simply this, that Israel will become a nation. Way back in the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, it says this. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountains. This prophecy way back in the book of, uh, of, of Zechariah implies simply this, that the Lord is going to return to Israel and to Jerusalem and we can conclude if he's going to return to Jerusalem, then Israel must be in control of Jerusalem in order for him to return. Now listen, this is no small thing to happen. If you remember back in week one, 70 AD, Israel, the temple was destroyed. The nation of Israel was scattered literally all throughout the world. And because of that, it's one of the reasons sometimes people have interpreted this uh, through the eyes of what's called replacement theology. And the idea is because Israel... The temple was destroyed and Israel was scattered all over the world. There's no way God's promises could come through Israel. So replacement theology says that they replaced the promises to Israel, replaced them with the church because maybe the church would be here during that time. Listen, that makes sense and I understand why they would get to that point except that something amazing happened in 1948. Israel became a nation again. And all of a sudden the promises of Zechariah could be fulfilled through the nation of Israel. Let me give you a third one. In light of that, we know in the prophecies that the Jews will return to Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 30 says this. And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you will call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, spread out, scattered, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I have commanded you today, with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcast are in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land of your fathers possessed that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Now think about this. He's saying, listen, I'm going to draw my people back to Israel, and you're going to maintain, you're going to make it as, as a country. Again, it seems absolutely amazing when you think of all of the nations in history who have tried to eliminate the nation of Israel. Started with Babylon when we were there, right? The Canaanites, the Moabites, the every other ites you can kind of think about tried to destroy Israel. Hitler tried to annihilate the race. Middle East right now, even tensions are there. And here's the amazing thing. All these nations have fallen away, and yet Israel still remains. Isn't that amazing? Out of, if you watch the news, out of all the conflicts in the world, Israel's the size of New Jersey. It's a small, irrelevant little country, and yet it still remains the focal point of even our news today and all these things. Why all these nations have come against them. The Bible says, I'm going to draw them. The prophecy says, that I'm going to bring the Jewish people back to this country. Well, since 1948, three million Jews have returned to Israel. 42%, think about this, 42% of the Jewish population now lives in Israel. That's the greatest number since 586 
B.C. And the Bible prophesied that God would draw his people back. Let me give you another one. Uh, Fourth reason. Uh, Israel will bloom. Isaiah, again, in chapter 41 says this. I will put in the wilderness, right? This is important to know. Think about Israel. If you've ever been to the Holy Lands, uh, it's 60% desert, uh, 40% arid. And arid simply means this, that the land um, evaporates more moisture than precipitation comes to the land. So it's a dry, terrible place to try to grow crops and do anything, right? So go back to Isaiah. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the Acadia, the, the myrtle, and the olive, and I will set the desert, the cypress, and the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know and may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this, and the Holy One of Israel has created. He's saying, listen, in the midst of a desert, I'm going to create oasises of, of cypress and, and olive trees and all of these things. Now, many have read that and basically say well, it's symbolic, right, that God's going to make Israel fruitful in the midst of struggle that's there. But again, I tend to try to read the scriptures as literal as we can. Tammy and I and some of you uh, went to Israel, went to Holy Land just a couple years ago. And uh, while we were there, we saw sites like this. You see this picture. This is an orchard. It's the Dead Sea right behind. And here's a whole orchard of palm trees that are there all the way around. Listen, some of the... Some of the most brilliant people on earth live in Israel, and some of the greatest scientists that have ever been, and they have mastered this desalinization, the ability to take salt water and turn it into fresh water. Uh, if you go, and if you remember those of us that had a chance to go, you'll be going through desert areas, and you'll see these green pastures, why they have learned the, the, the skill of drip irrigation, where there are groves of trees that are there. In fact, the hotel we stayed at boasted of this, that all the fruits and vegetables that you are eating here were born, or were, were growing right here in Israel. It's a miraculous thing to a place that's a total desert. In fact, this last year, Israel exported $25 billion worth of fruits and vegetables. I'm telling you that Israel is blooming in the way it was prophesied back in Isaiah. Let me give you a fifth sign that moves us towards the idea that the return of the Lord. Number five is this, that the gospel is spread to the ends of the earth. Back in Matthew 24, as Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he continues to share. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then here's the key. And then the end will come. So listen, once the proclamation of the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth, then I'm gonna return. 91% of the world today has a Bible translated in their very own language. Think about the internet. The internet now reaches media and communications literally to the four ends of the earth. Over 2.2 billion people in this earth speak one of two languages, either English or Mandarin Chinese. We're getting close. You could look at it the other way. The reality is this, though. The other way is to be reminded that this promise needs to still be fulfilled because there's 1.5 billion unreached people groups uh, within the world. And so either way, here's what I want to remind you from where we were in Matthew 24, when it comes to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, we have made dramatic progress of where we are. Number six, the nations will align against Israel. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 38. And therefore, son of man... Prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? Verse 15, you will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, and all of them riding horses, a great host, a mighty army. 
and you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. And in the latter days, I will bring you against my land that the nations will know me. And then through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before your eyes. Here's what he's simply saying. There will be a rallying of countries uniting against Israel in those last days. We'll talk more about these. Let me just give you five countries that I think are always important to keep your eyes on when it comes to Bible prophecy. It's Russia, it's Iran, Turkey, Sudan, and Libya. Just as you watch, pay attention to those five that are there. So these six promises, right, simply say this, indicators, when these are coming true, you know the day of the Lord is nearing, whether that's today, 100 years, 2,000 years from now, whatever, but we're moving in this direction. They're going to increase like birth pains before birth in intensity and and, uh, as often as they come as we go. So again, as we move there, be reminded, for those of you that know the Lord, this again shouldn't scare you. This should inspire you to say, I, I... I need to live differently. I need to be on mission in the things that I do. When I look at the world and it seems to be getting worse and worse, can I be reminded that there is a greater plan at fold? That we know the darkness will be greater before the light comes. It's gonna increase in intensity and frequency like birth pains. For those of you that don't know the Lord, I'm reminded again, may all these things be reminded that we are promised this moment. This idea that I can put off and deal with God later, can I just encourage you? Revelation says today is the day that you go. So let's go back to our timeline and get a little context where we're coming. So let me put this back on the screen here for you. Week one, we talked about this. God working with the nation of Israel. We're now in the church age, uh, where God now is working uniquely with the church. Last week, we talked about the event that changed that and ends the church age, and God's focus coming back to the nation of Israel was the rapture. At that moment, the believers will be raptured to heaven. Last week, we talked about what will be happening there. Now, as you look on that little chart, you're gonna see those three little dashes that are there. I'm reminded of this because the rapture is not what starts the tribulation. We're going to see here in just a moment in Revelations chapter 6 what starts the seven-year tribulation. So the dashes represent a period of time. I have no idea if that's a short period of time or a long period of time or what that's going to look like. But chapter 6 in Revelation is going to tell us when that tribulation period starts. So to put context for that, let me take you back to chapter five in the book of Revelations, and let's see what's happening in heaven, right? We saw where, as, as the church is on that upper level, the things that are happening in heaven at that time. So Revelation chapter five, verse one. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. I, I get the impression, so we have this scroll that, that nobody, it, as almost as if people were trying to open it, whether it had been the angels or whoever it would be, they've tried to open it and they can't open it because it's impossible to do. And so here we see again, in verse four, and so John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look unto it. Somehow there's this understanding from the angels or whatever, like if I can get open the scroll, I'll understand God's plan because they don't know what's about to happen. And John says, I've got to this point of the vision and all I've seen, and now we're stuck. Nobody can open the scroll, all have tried. Verse five, And one of the elders said to me, weep no more, for behold, I love this, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
It's this Excalibur moment, right? Many have come to try to pull the sword out and none could and then enters Jesus and it's Jesus's time. And so the elder says, hang on, great things are about to happen. Remember the idea of symbolism, again, that we're going to see all throughout the book of Revelation, especially in the area of numbers, right? Seven. Seven's the number of perfection. It's the number of completeness. So it's seven seals that were there. Each seal reveals another vision of the apocalypse that we're about to experience. I picture the scroll looking like you'll see here on the screen. It wasn't like there were seven all at once, but each page that you rolled away put another seal and another seal inside potentially looks something like this, the seven seals that are there. So today, in our time, let's do this. Let's open the first seal and see what's about to come. Revelations chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So we have somebody who's going to come to conquer, represented by a white horse, right? He comes with a bow, an instrument of war. He has a crown, which means that the power that he has given, he has been given power and authority, but Revelations make special point to know this power was given to him. He didn't possess it himself, but we don't know who gave this person the power. He has a bow, but something's missing with the bow. What's missing? There's no arrow. So we know this person who comes is gonna conquer through peace, and not through violence that he comes. So who is this powerful leader who will conquer through peace uh, and not through power and, and violence? What is his name? He's got lots of names throughout scripture, but we know him as the Antichrist. So the first seal is broken and the Antichrist is revealed and the timeline begins. So this morning, what we want to do is take just a few moments. We want to take, what do, what do we know about who this Antichrist will be and what do we not know about? There will be a little bit of both. But hopefully at the end, be, we'll have more of an idea. These are things that we can look for that will be true within that person. So Revelations chapter 13 gives us the first picture of this. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on his horns and a blasphemous names on his head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon, who do we know the dragon to be? Satan, right? This is key. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. Remember that date, right? It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name in his dwelling place, that is, those who dwell in the heavens. Verse 7. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nations. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And if anyone has ears, let him hear. So I can look out and I can already see on the face of some of you like, 
good luck, pastors. Explain to me what this means, right? We've got dragons and beasts and horns and bears' feet and lions and things coming out of their mouth and all this, right? So let's take a deep breath and we'll just jump in. Let's see what we can come up with here as we go. Let me give you today uh, in our time, I'm going to give you five things that help us learn more about the Antichrist. Five things scripture say about this person, the Antichrist. Revelations 13 starts this. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Number one is this. The Antichrist has many names, but one spirit. In fact, it has 33 names in the Old Testament and 13 names in the New Testament. So this idea of the Antichrist isn't simply just apocalyptic teaching in the book of Revelations. It's all throughout scripture. We see names like the beast, which we're seeing right here, the lawless one, the man of sin, uh, the son of perdition, the wicked one, the little horn, we'll see a little bit later. All right, so many names at one spirit, Revelations 13, one and two, continue on. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with seven diadems on its horns and a blasphemous names on its head. Remember this part, right? Remember when we were first introduced to the Antichrist, he comes with a bow but he doesn't have an arrow, right? So he's gonna gain his power, what this tells us is through peace rather than violence. So here's the number two thing we know about the Antichrist. The Antichrist will confirm a covenant with Israel for seven years. It's gonna be a covenant, a peace covenant. Book of Daniel, way back in the Old Testament, chapter nine, verse 27 tells us this. And he shall make a strong covenant with the many, who is Israel, for one week, seven years. And for half of the week, he shall put at half of the week, he shall put an end to the sacrifices in the offering. Half a week, three and a half years, something's gonna change. We'll learn more about that next week. And on the wings of the abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out, out on all the desolators. Here's what the Antichrist is gonna do. The Antichrist is gonna come and he's gonna confirm a covenant. It appears that it's not a new covenant, but he's gonna confirm, relaunch a covenant that he had of peace with Israel. And he's going to accomplish something. It's absolutely amazing. He's going to accomplish something that hasn't been done in centuries. He's going to bring peace to the Middle East. I mean, this guy, when this happens, I mean, he's going to win the Nobel Peace Prize, right? He's going to be the, on the cover of Time magazine. He's going to be heralded as like, this is the, the Messiah of peace. He's brought peace where we have not experienced it in generations. And he's going to be globally ce celebrated as a man who saved the world from war. Now, here's an important thing. When it comes to the rapture, right, we don't know the time or the place and when. But we do know in the context of this that the moment that he signs a peace treaty with the nation of Israel, we start the tribulation period. It says it's going to be seven weeks, the weeks of Daniel, seven years that are going to be there. So from that moment, now we're back on that graph, the timetable becomes. He also says he's going to come by a, moment of, a, a sense of peace, but we go back to Revelations, right? He rises with ten horns and seven heads, he tells us, I think that tells us this, there's some kind of coalition of nations that will unite around him, all right? This is how he's gonna come in peace. There'll be a coalition. Some say right now that's the European Union. Who knows what it could be? But here's what's gonna happen. It's gonna be the empire of Rome revisited, right? The nations, it's gonna be encompassing of them. He's not gonna just come alone. He's gonna come with at least the 10 nations that come. And according to Daniel chapter nine and Revelation 11, during this first three and a half years, this is so interesting, that there is peace on the earth. And under the protection of the Antichrist, the temple in Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt and religious rituals are going to be started up again. If you do any study or any familiar with the Holy Lands at all, this is the buzz right now. It's the rebuilding of the temple. Where's the temple going to be? All these kind of conversations. But we know under these times of peace, 
the temple's going to be rebuilt. Can you imagine? Everybody's going to be singing this guy's praises. It's unbelievable, right? Wars and famines are increasing, and now all of a sudden this guy comes in for three and a half years. We've got peace in the Middle East. We've got peace around the world. What an amazing thing. So we continue on to know that he's going to bring a peace treaty between the two. So here's the question. How is he able to unite and bring peace where there's been generational and tribal wars for years? I mean, what is so unique about this man that he's able to bring this kind of peace around the world? Well, we're going to see it. Number three is this, that the Antichrist gets his power and authority from Satan himself. Revelation chapter 13, just where we were. And it is the dragon, Satan, who gave his power and his throne and great authority. That the dragon, Satan, is going to demonically, this is crazy, but it's true, will demonically empower the Antichrist. That he's going to give him his power and authority here on this earth. You see, he didn't have any authority. Actually, God gave, for a period, loaned authority to Satan, right? The prince of this earth. And so he's saying, listen, you now have Satan's authority here on the earth. And this is how he's going to deceive the nations and deceive the world. He's going to deceive it through a a false spirit. It's an interesting little thing as you you look at it more. This idea of a a false spirit, it's present today, but it's going to be manifested fully in this person of the Antichrist. Here's what I mean by it's present today. In in 1 John chapter 4, it, it says this. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not the God... This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. That it's the spirit, the the motivation, the the thing that drives the Antichrist, saying, listen, that spirit is present in our world even today. I mean, that's why at times you look at our world and think, how did we get so evil? How are we so derailed? How is there so much division? That's the spirit uh, of the Antichrist. I mean, you had sin nature, Plus the spirit of the Antichrist, it's no wonder we watch the world events today and your heart's broken. It's no wonder you think, how far has man fallen that these are the things, these two are in place. Now as bad as this is right now, the Bible reminds us they are nothing compared to when the Antichrist steps forward. He's going to be the embodiment of all pure evil, empowered by Satan and with Satan's power and control. It says, look out, you, you think it's struggling now, it's just the spirit of it. This is going to be manifested in a person. That's number three. Number four is this. We know about the Antichrist, that he will perform miraculous signs and wonders. Go back to Revelation 13, verse three. And on its head, it seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Go down to verse 13. And it performs great signs, even making fire come from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it, it is, it's allowed, that's the key, remind again, it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Somehow we know about the Antichrist. He's going to perform miraculous signs and wonders that are going to appear like their power comes from God, right? Like fire from heaven. This must be God. He can do signs and wonders. It's always the danger, right? Of signs and wonders and contributing always to the Lord. He says, man, it's a great deceiver that's there. He's a counterfeit. He's going to say he's an imitation of what true power and authority is. But it makes this special reference, and John, in his visions, doesn't tell us what this mortal wound was that the Antichrist um, 
has. It says somehow it's caused by the sword, but somehow he miraculously heals from this. And when he heals from this, can you imagine how his godlike status begins to grow? Should have been dead. Rose on, I don't know what this means. Rose from the dead or whatever it would be has this miraculous sign that's there. So we know he's going to perform miraculous signs and wonders. Let me give you the fifth one. If this is true, where, where does the Antichrist come from? Where do we need to be looking for these things? Number five, the Antichrist will be, and I put it in parentheses, Assyrian. Here's what I mean by that. In the book of Micah, chapter five, verse five, it says this. And he shall be their peace when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces. Then we will rise against him, seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Seven shepherds, eight princes, it's just a word for uh, many, more than you can ever imagine. But we get the idea that this Assyrian comes into the land and treads on their palaces in the temple. Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 14 refer again to this idea of the Assyrian. So some would interpret that. So uh, Mosaic prophecy uh, that's there. That's saying the Assyrian is going to be, it really represents all the nations who have come against Israel. When Micah chapter 5 was written, the Assyrian empire was the empire that was pushing against Israel. So it's representative of all the nations. So it's going to come from somebody who once warred against Israel. If you take it more literal and you just read it as it is, I encourage you to think about it maybe this way. It really could relate to a geographical place that the Antichrist would arise from. In Micah chapter 5, uh, Babylon is, is still the ruling empire that's there, but we have an Assyrian empire. And if you go back to Babylon, or Micah chapter 5, the, uh, the Assyrian empire, let me just put a map on here, covered these countries. It covers the country of Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, and interesting, Israel was a part of that. So some would say... If you interpret it as a literal sense of the ancient lands of Micah chapter 5 that the Antichrist would come from, it's a good chance, if that would be the case, he's probably Muslim. Because these are predominantly Muslim countries and have been for centuries that are there. Or, some say, maybe even from the nation of Israel, which is an interesting thought, a side note there. But I think there's a good chance, if that's the case, if it's a literal, it probably is from the middle, that area probably would be Muslim. If he is, that would be even one more reason why he is able to unite the Middle East in three and a half years of peace that's there. So we end this time, the the first three and a half years of of the tribulation, if you go back to that chart and remember that, the the first three and a half, the first 48 months, we find it, it ends with peace, right? The the Antichrist is in power. The world is, is heralding his greatness and his ability to rule and all these things. And we find ourselves in peace and everybody is happy and everything is complacent and everything seems to be going great. And then all of a sudden something changes after three and a half years. Daniel chapter 8 verse 25 gives us just a picture of what's happening. And by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist begins to feel he has won, right? The challenge is his hubris begins to grow. In the same way that his father, Satan, his arrogance began to grow and was cast out of heaven, so the Antichrist, his arrogance begins to grow. And all of a sudden, it's going to lead to his demise. And he's going to break the treaty with Israel three and a half years into the tribulation. And at the moment he does that, literally hell on earth is about to break out. The rest of the seals that we're going to look at next week will be broken. 
And God's wrath will pour upon the earth like never before. But that's next week as we go. <laughs> you know, this morning, what, what do we do with this? How do we get our heads all around this? Can I just encourage you? It's easy to get some of these teachings and then begin to look and put all of our focus. Look at, I need to find and figure out who the Antichrist is. And can I just be reminded, you need to be looking and find out who Jesus is. Because the Antichrist is nothing more than a cheap imitation. It's counterfeit. Every piece of power and authority he has has been given to him for a season. And he'll run a season, but there'll be a moment that God will remove that power from him in such a place. So our eyes in the midst of all of these need to be going to the Jesus rather than all these other things. Now, here's the great part. I believe personally, as a follower of Christ, this is all significantly important. But if you remember, I believe I'm gonna be raptured with the church and I'll be able to see this from a heavenly perspective, but this isn't really gonna be in my world, things that are gonna be affected. There's a joy in that. That's why the Lord says, man, read these things and be blessed. Be encouraged. I'm gonna tell you what's happening, but if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, he says there's, there's protection from the wrath that is to come. But I go back to those that, if you're here and you're saying or you're watching online and man, I, I don't know if I have that kind of relationship with God. I mean, I kind of know, I, I, I'm just putting this off. I'll deal with it later. Can I just remind you again the importance, the power of knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior and the protection that comes. See, in the next weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna see the wrath of God and it's gonna seem harsh and dramatic and scary and so many things, but can I remind you, the depth of God's wrath only comes from the depth of his love. You can only have great wrath with great love. You see, if you break into my house and you harm my wife, you will experience the greatest level of wrath I'm able to muster up. Why? Because that wrath comes out of great love. If I didn't love, you wouldn't experience the wrath. Does that make sense? And God wants to say to you today, he's gonna to pour out his wrath on the world because of his great love for the world. God's great love for you. The, the whole big micro picture of the end times is God one more time saying, I wanna return the hearts of my people to me that many would be saved. I want them to come to know me. I wanna crush their pride to the point that they acknowledge their need for me. Today, can I just encourage you if, You've not got to that point in your life. God would say to you, listen, I need you to die to yourself in your own pride. I need you to come to a point in your life of acknowledging your sin and your selfishness and your separation from me. The Bible says this wonderful thing that when we do that, when we come to that point of humility that God offers for us forgiveness and grace that we might experience life with him. So as we close our time this morning, would you just bow your heads with me, whether you're here or you're watching online, I just want to ask you that simple question. If you've never come to that point of placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, then today is the day of salvation. <laughs> Revelations remind us, let us not count on tomorrow when we've been promised this moment to where we're at. And so if that's you today, and you've never placed your faith in Christ, and you feel that in your heart and that longing to do that, I'm going to just lead you in a prayer. I want to invite you just to you don't have to use my words, just use your own words, the attitude of your heart, acknowledging your need for God, but just say these words back to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I realize that my sin, my arrogance, my pride has separated me from you. 
But God, I thank you that you love me so much that you offer me forgiveness and grace. God, thank you for paying the penalty for my sins on the cross. So Lord, today I'm placing my faith and my trust in you alone for the forgiveness of those sins and for the free gift of eternal life. Lord, come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. And just as you have your heads bowed in just this moment, you know, if you prayed that prayer today, no greater decision that you could make. And we'd love, I'd love just to be able to celebrate and even pray with, for you this week. And so if you wouldn't mind, if you're here in the room this morning and you made that decision for the very first time, uh, would you mind just raising your hand and just putting it down just so we could see that and just celebrate that with you even this morning? If you're online this morning and you made that decision, just in the chat box, just type in there, I prayed. We'd love to send you some things to help you grow in your faith and to take that next step with Jesus. We're thankful for that. Amen. You can look right up here. Listen, for those of you that made that decision today, again, no greater decision than you can make than have a personal relation with Jesus. And we're so excited for you and celebrate that with you. If you go to the, the app on lexcity.info, there's just a little box there entitled, I prayed we'd love to be able to send you some ways to help you grow in your faith. Revelations chapter six, the first seal is open. The Antichrist has been identified. Timetable now begins. The next seven weeks, for the next seven years, in the last three and a half, we're going to see the justice of God. But can I remind you again that the wrath of God is only driven by the love of God for you and for this world. So we look forward to seeing you back next week as we look at seal number two. Pastor Dave.